been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental. One that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no BS. Helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things. The iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do. No excuses. Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. All right, we're live. All right, good morning. It's nice to say good morning because usually everybody's on the East Coast. I was just telling you that that comes on my show. So I hear you're in Southern California, just like I am on Riverside. Good morning, Mark. Yeah, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. So we have enjoyed. Well, you didn't get to enjoy the earthquake, but we have enjoyed uh, a little mini hurricane. hurricane. Yeah, a little tropical storm. You know, go Californians. Uh, mm-hmm. they go and buy a bunch of toilet paper for two days of rain. I'm just like, you just, I mean, did we not learn anything from the pandemic, man? How, how hard is it just to be a little bit prepared for a week of stuff? It's not really, it's not rocket science. Have some gas, have extra toilet paper, have some food that you can get on whatever that Patriot food site is that I have. I got, uh, you know, three months of food on, on site stays good for 25 years stuck in the cupboard. Yep. I mean, it doesn't take much to to be a little bit prepared, but California. it does. Well, that was, that was my wife. My wife is from the Midwest and she's like, Oh my God, tornadoes and hurricanes. And da, 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 da. went out and bought like 17 ratchet strap sets. And I'm like, okay, we could take 16 of them back. We don't, we're good. But I just, I just kind of let her do her thing and like, all right, let, let's, we'll get the sandbags. We'll take care of it. Better to be overprepared than underprepared. And, and then for me personally, I'd rather be able to say, see, I told you so, rather than be like, fuck, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, just one of those guys. It. Right. That's the, that, yeah, that's the last thing that we, <laughs> I told you the house is going to get ripped apart. We are have to be in the corner closet. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Well, let me, let me give, let me just give you a line off, off the bio you sent me. So everybody kind of have, has a, has a understanding who we have in front of us today, which is pretty awesome. Right. So Christopher Roush is, Debatably the world's most effective, impactful, unstoppable, no excuses, coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, retreat leader, whose life apprenticeship from the victim to victor is nothing short of miraculous and surely inspiring. So this is uh, I took that part right there because I thought "Mm," it pretty much says it all. One of the things in there it talks about is let's talk about the retreat leader real quick. Sure. Before we get into your story, I saw the retreat leader. Now, when you do retreats, are are you, is it a mostly a men's thing? Yeah. Funny enough, it's, it's honestly, God's honest truth. Most of my clients are and have been women coaching clients over the years, but for men, there are a small group of men that reach out to me every year and say, man, do you ever put any retreats? I would love to just spend a couple of days with you. So sometimes we do camping retreats. I have an RV, so we'll get a couple of guys together and we'll go locally uh, here in Southern California. They'll fly out here and we'll do, we'll do a couple of days out camping. Um, we've done camping retreats in tents. Um, we've done retreats up in Big Bear. I'm pretty close to Big Bear, as you know. 
Um, so yeah, we get the guys out there and we just get them like, because people hit me up they're like, man, you're such a guy's guy, but you're so vulnerable and you're just, you're confident in who you are and you're emotional and everything else. How do I get to that space? And so every once in a while, I haven't done it in the last couple of years, we got COVID going on, but uh, I'm going to probably be doing one again next year. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing opportunity for guys just to be guys. You know, it's not the whole going hard in the paint, you know, and stuffing your face in the sand, which I have friends that do those types of retreats as well. Um, they were trying to get me to do one, but I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But yeah, it's just about that honest communication about just being real with yourself and then being able to be real with the people in your life. Because if you can't be real with the people in your life and the real with and real with yourself, then you're living a lie. And then ultimately that's either going to end in a regret or it's going to end in a situation where you're going to have to take action to change who it is that you are in order to really enjoy your life because it's short. True. That's that's true. I, I asked about that because, you know, I have I have a couple other men that have some men groups and in my church, you know, it's a big thing to have life groups. You know, they, they, I, I tell this story often about life groups and I can't stand them. Okay. Uh, they've always tried to get me to do these. And I said, I'm not going to someone's house and singing Kumbaya with a, with a bunch of mixed. Nah, it's not happening. I'm not going to tell you my feelings, all that kind of stuff. But I do have something here at the studio. So once it, once we did, uh, Jesus and Jits, or we did, uh, Bible beatdown is what we called it, <laughs> which what we would do is we would like come it. in here and these group of guys, and these are men that probably have a hard time going to church anyway, you know what I mean? Or, or right. dealing with, you know, pornography or, or just anger and, and stuff like that. What, what most men do, right? We would get in here. I teach them to fight for eight weeks. Then we'd have a, a you know, a small, small study together, small group where we can talk, but it's different when you bleed together, uh, your your the talks become a little bit different right oh, yeah. and then at the end of eight weeks we'll if they've never fought in a cage they can try it um or for doing a jujitsu route we'll do a little bit of a tournament in jujitsu at the end see how everybody does after we did eight weeks of that so it was it's definitely that would that that just caught my eye that that the retreat because it had it takes the right person for somebody like me to go listen to you see yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of, you know, it's, it's got to be real, man. It's got to be somebody that's been through some, some stuff. I've, I've heard so many stories, dude, some military veterans. I mean, I've had guys tell me like, I have never shared this in public before and just break down crying and just, and to feel, just to be able to feel normal and not to feel judged. Like, Oh, I've got to be this tough person. I have to put on this, everything else. And I have to hide and push that stuff away. The release and the emotion and the ability to grow and to be able to see themselves as it be, it's being, it, it's great to be okay. It's great to be, you know, we're always told is, you know, suck it up, be a man, you know, men don't cry, be a big boy, stop being a pussy all that other stuff and so we just walk around like oh i'm the toughest fucking thing since you know you know brick shit house and then inside we're still little boys and little girls trying to process our feelings and our emotions so yeah it's been it's been pretty uh pretty amazing i don't do it a lot but uh i do do it every once in a while when i feel the calling to go out there and serve and i and i and i'm in a part of a dad's group and help out a lot of guys anyway yeah that's good i think that's yeah, i think that's that's super super real so I want to, let's get into what, where you, you, so you have a book coming out. I just, uh, you know, that I just, uh, I pre-ordered myself. So those that are listening, thank you. Uh, you know, we're trying to get, you know, listen, all my listeners that come out here be, being somebody that wrote a book anyway, I'm, we try to get everybody's books to go bestseller. And the easiest way to do that, if people are listening, they'll understand is when you pre-order and you can hit all those books in one day where all the pre-orders come in and you hit that in the, it, it really kind of lifts your book up to become a bestseller. Yes. It, you know, it's an algorithm just like anything else, correct? And so mm -hmm. 
if you guys are listening, I, I, after the podcast, after you listen to a story, I'd, I'd encourage you all have it in notes, by the way, by the word time and done, where you can go and just put your name down for a pre-order. It's not, it's, it's nothing easy. It's, it's a name and, and, uh, and, and, uh, web and your email address and you're good to go. So let's talk about what, oh, we got some people saying hello. Let's see before we, we get it. There's a Serena. What's up? Oh, there's my Serena. But what's up, Serena? Sweet. Pre, my, my sweetheart, Adam in the house. Yeah. These are Adam's some of my, my, my amazing uh, brothers and sisters from around the world. Yes. That's good, right? I don't know. Do, have you ever met Israel? He's on here too. Have you met uh, him? No, no, I have not. Okay. No, I know the other two. Okay, Thank you, Israel, for being here. Yeah, he's he you'll like him. He's good to go. He's good, man. He's good people. Cool. Funny, funny dude. But he's 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 good people. Uh, he's a martial artist too, man. I, I enjoyed when I met him. We had a good time. Let's go into your book. Let's go into your life story a little bit. What that's yeah. gonna look like and what brought you to where you are today to kind of be a coach. So let's Let's do a, a, a reader's digest version because we don't sure. give it all away, right? We gotta, right. we gotta, we gotta read in order to to learn. So let's get a reader's digest version of it. Sure. I mean, essentially, I sit before you today as a former homeless seventeen, uh, homeless seventh grade dropout who lived in the backseat of a station wagon with eighteen cats and four dogs, with a mother with various psychological disorders. Um, I came home from school one day. I was uh, getting in a lot of trouble in school. I was fighting and doing drugs and skipping class. And my mom said, hey, we're going to lose the house. And I said, what does that mean? And she says, well, basically, I spent the last $5,000 that I had to save my dying cat. And now we have to move out. And I said, where are we going? And I said, we're not sure. And so ultimately, long story short, it wound up being our 1969 Country Squire station wagon. Uh, I left the left the seventh grade uh, without saying goodbye to anybody. And for the next four ensuing years, we lived in and out of the car. We lived in and out of trashy motels. I lived in abandoned vans. I lived in garages. Uh, we dug through dumpsters and had all sorts of fun. I tried to kill myself twice. Unfortunately, I sucked at it. Uh, it wasn't until I got to a point where I was hanging around with bad people doing bad things and I had a gun put to my head and I told the guy, if you're going to pull a fucking trigger, pull the fucking trigger. And I thought I was going to be it. I thought I was going to hear a click. I thought I was going to be gone. And that was going to be the end of the story. Um, fortunately for the grace of God, um, somebody came out there and said, no, 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 no. Him and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. And it was all over a pack of cigarettes. The guy thought I was being racist about the color of his skin. I said, dude, I grew up in a black neighborhood. I don't care what color your skin is. I love all people. I said, I smoke cool cigarettes. And I went to go reach in my back pocket. When I did, I had the gun put to my head. And it was after that, Mark, where I had to sit there and think like, okay, I'm 17 years old. I've been doing this for four years. Nothing is changing. I'm getting worse. I'm doing drugs. I'm doing alcohol. I'm working jobs to, to keep us out of the car in this cheap, cheap, sleazy, disgusting motel. And I thought, I'm going to get out of here in a cop car. I'm going to get out of here in a pine box, or I'm actually going to have to take responsibility for my life and actually leave my mother in this situation. And that broke my heart to think that all the time I thought together, we're going to get out of the situation. And so once I left her in the motel, I still went back there every night and still gave her money. I started getting around the right people. And then fortunately, uh, I met a, an amazing woman named Tammy and met her parents. And I thought her parents were going to take one look at this long haired cigarette smoking guy living in an apartment with five people um, and say, get away from my daughter. And he simply said, if you thought about going back to school and getting your GED. And I was like, what, what's a GED? And I literally, I was stupid in school. I did horrible in school. I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. I sat in the back of the class. I was made fun of. So I just didn't do anything in school. And that's nothing to bring attention to me. So for me to be having confidence is, is, is incredible story in and of itself. So I thought, you know what? If this guy believes in me, 
let me go try. And this is before the internet. So I had to pick up a phone and dial all the schools around my neighborhood and say, do you have a GED program? And they're like, yeah, we do. One of the places did Wintersburg high in Huntington beach. And so uh, they're going to have, we want you to come down and take a test. We'll see how you are. And then we'll give you homework to catch you up. And then you get your GED and then you can move on. Long story short, wound up taking me about three and a half months to make up high school. I was pretty surprised. I guess I was actually pretty smart. And then I went back and I showed the guy, I got the certificate. I got the certificate. I'm, I got a GED now. And he's like, well, what do you think about college? I'm like, what does this guy want from me? Right. I'm working mm-hmm. two. Te- I'm working three telemarketing jobs and a construction job. I'm barely eating ketchup sandwiches. And now this guy wants me to go to college. And so long story short, I spent the next 12 years in, in college and I graduated with my master's degree the same year I bought my first house. And I, through that process, I had a very successful stint in corporate. I was the director of operations for a major international organization. And I started coaching and speaking and writing books and doing podcasts just as my way of helping other people seeing the fact that if I could do it, anybody could do it. And so I just started teaching people how to do it. Then I found out you can make money at it. And it's been a passion of mine for many, many years. And I left corporate in November of 2019 to do it full time. So when were you, uh, when you, when you went to college, did you decide to do, did you have any direction at all? Or did you just try, try with uh, general education and then you kind of moved into business? Cause it says in here that you have a degree in organizational yeah organizational management yeah it was for me it was business seemed like the logical the logical aspect of it um so i just went with general business administration for my undergrad and then uh wound up sitting there thinking like okay i've got a bachelor's degree now now i can say i was a homeless kid who got a bachelor's degree but i thought okay is that is that good enough Am, am i here to be good enough what would it take for me to get a master's degree? What would it take for me to get a PhD if I wanted to? And so that's when I went into organizational management because numbers and getting an MBA for me was not going to be the route. That's That was not my forte. I love people. I love putting teams together. I love seeing operations meld together. I love seeing organizations like do um, more effective business with one another and departments. And, and, and a lot of the generational leadership that was going on at the time was my forte. It was something I was speaking nationally on is about how different generations can work together and like use their energies and, and learn from their differences. And so organizational management was a natural for me. And that's really what my director and operations uh, career kind of stemmed about was cohesiveness through all the different international offices that we had, bringing them all together to work on the same team. So you said something in there about working with different, uh, like trying to get millennials and Gen X to merge is what you're saying. Right? Oh yeah. That's it. I did a lot of that, that is a uh, challenge. Okay. For sure. Uh huh. And because, you know, the Gen X, which would be me, or I mean, I might even be before because I'm 60. Well, I'm 61 years old. So I'm, I'm right on the cusp of cusp. what that would be. Right. Yep. And then to have millennials and they're just a little bit of a different, you know, they're a different animal for sure. And when I when when you, when you go to hire, it's like, ugh, you know nobody wants to work and nobody, you know, it's always some kind of a problem and, you know, my feelings and, mm-hmm. you know, I have to listen to my son, <laughs> my son's 24 and he comes home. He was, you know, he was, he, he stopped the zoomies now, but he was kind of a co-managing white. He just graduated with his, he's working at zoomies. He's a great salesman. And he came home and he's like, dad, I said, he goes, the boss today couldn't come in because he had to have a mental day. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, he called out cause he had to have a mental health day. I'm like, oh my goodness. And that, right. That's his boss. 
Mm-hmm. And I says, well, let me tell you two things. Okay. One, I've never heard of that. And two, don't do it. So there's uh figure out how to get through your mental day when you're at work. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. work day is work day. And that was just kind of the difference of the generations I just see. But, you know, watching my father who, you know, who's still, I, I still have my folks, but you know, he's worked. I, I don't even know my dad not to work. So, right. you know, naturally that's what I did. But on the same token, my older son, uh, he helps me run the karate schools and stuff. But he also told me he was pretty straight with me one day and he goes, dad, I just don't want to do what you watch, what I watch you do. Yeah. You know, it's just, you just, all you did is, is, you know, from the, you'd take us to school, you'd get to work, you'd come and put us to bed and you, and we would see you here, you know, you're always at our events and stuff, but you know, I just seen you knew nothing but work. And I told him, I said, well, you know, when you're young, it was hard for me because it's going through a divorce and, uh, sanctuary was a studio so it's where i spent most of my time unfortunately and so you know having those real talks with your kids and those was you know sounds like probably something you kind of merge that kind of stuff together if that's what it is you know i thought that was interesting it's just an interesting degree because i am so not organized okay first (laughs) of all Uh, i'm pretty much i'm a visionary right you know you see that you well if you coach companies you know right you got you know, kind of the CEO, the visionary kind of putting things in play. I'm not right. a micromanager either. I say, here's what I want to see. Here's where I see the vision. Uh, let's take it to that level. Mm-hmm. And and then I kind of like branch it out. And so I'm sure that yeah, that's what you see when you're in your corporate world and kind of how you have the merge. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It really one of the greatest lessons that I've learned about relationships because my mother was basically the FU person. Like she didn't give a shit what you thought. She was always had to be right. She got fired from every job she ever had. She lost every relationship she ever had, including my sister. Um, so for me, seeking first to understand and then to be understood has been instrumental in my life to better understand myself, but also not to make assumptions and judgments about where I think other people should be based on my expectations. And so in doing that, that's where I was really ready to see and understand the millennials and the Gen Z's and also the baby boomers. And at that point, we had still some of the silent generation, the older, older generation in there that this is what we do. And so when we sat there and think about, okay, what experiences did these individuals have when they were growing up? Okay, these guys went through the First World War. These guys went through the Great Depression. These guys went through free love and sex and drugs and rock and roll. These kids grew up with the internet and the microwave and the Amazon and da, 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 da. So might we all be a little bit more alike had we gone through those different experiences and perhaps had the parents that were in those generations teaching us? And so for me to be able to see, okay, what does this person expect? And so what I would sit there and do as a manager of over 25 people at the time is I would sit with people because everybody would say, I expect this. I expected a raise. I expected a promotion. I expected this. So I sat down and I said, okay, let me understand your expectations about yourself, your expectations about others, your expectations about me as your boss, as your leader and expectations for the company. And what I started finding out is a lot of people had similar expectations, but the execution of what it is that they were willing to do to make those executions realistic, that's where the problem was. And that's where the opportunity was for us to get together as a team and say, okay, here's what we got going on. We got nine people in here who all want to be the lead person in the shipping warehouse. There is one position in there. So, so here's what we have to do. What do you guys think is a realistic plan for us to find out who is potentially the best? Well, maybe we have a lead for a month or maybe we have a secondary lead. So I would put it on them to come up with the solutions in order to work together to find that commonality, to be able to work with their strengths and their differences a little bit better and to do that seek first to understand and then to be understood. And it it garnered me a lot of opportunities within the organization. It garnered me a lot of opportunities in consulting business, uh, being able to see that. And then also for my own success, 
rather than me always having to be right and prove everybody wrong, which I could do. I'm a very intelligent person. It allowed me to sit back and say, hey, listen, let me analyze my feelings a little bit more. Let me get into what it is that they're expecting and make sure there's a mutual reciprocity here for understanding. Because so many times they're making an assumption about me. I'm making an assumption about them. I've got selective hearing disorder, so I'm hearing only 10% of what they're saying because I really don't give a shit about what they say because I want to care about what I say. So it helped me out tremendously in all areas of my life, personally and professionally. That's awesome. Good advice is in there also, which, what you're talking about. You. When you when you're talking about the your journey, right? It says in here as a, as a complete guide to living and leading the best kick-ass life possible. Imagine the impact of his wisdom of your organization, his compassion guides each person through the journey of self-transformation. Let's 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 dive into what that what that talks about because that's a lot about um, you know what martial arts are in 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 a tune, right? It. It's, it is a reflection of self-mastery, right? You realize real quick on the mat that when, well, especially when someone's trying to choke the shit out of you, right? So you, you, there's not really much that you get to do at that moment. You're not really thinking about bills. You're not thinking about anything. You're thinking about, oh, do I give up on this when, when the pressure's on me and, and I feel them on my chest and I can hardly breathe and I'm claustrophobic. Do I tap out or do I find a way out? You right. know what I mean? And, you know, in the beginning, you do a lot of tapping out. Pretty soon you realize, hey, I can I can weather this storm. I can right. weather the storm a little bit. When I weather the storm, I figure and find a way out. I'm patient. I wait for them to make the mistake and then we go. I mean, that's the beauty of martial arts. It sounds like it's the same type of thing that you do when you're coaching. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Mark, I mean, it's a great, it's a great uh, opportunity to talk about. For me, it's 1%. Like if I can just get 1% a little bit better every single day, compounded over a period of time, what is that going to result in my confidence and my perspectives and my ability to sit there and say, am I doing my best? You know, so oftentimes this is there, oh, I did the best I could. But did we ever really analyze, was that the best? in that particular situation or did i do the best to to feel comfortable to feel safe to feel certain to feel secure to feel like i'm not going to lose my ego because uh maybe i didn't do my best and i know for me that's what i teach that's what i teach my clients and everybody that i work with is the fact that can i do one percent more if there was a different set of leverages in my life would i give it a little bit more oomph? like i have a lot of people with in financial problems and I said, so let me ask you a question. If I asked you to go raise $10,000 in seven days and it can't be illegal, immoral, or unethical, can you do it? $10,000 in seven days. Can you do it? 99% of people, oh my God, Chris, if I could have $10,000 in seven days, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, all things being equal, tell me about somebody that you love the most. Usually it's somebody's kid. I'm like, tell me about your kid. Oh, my kid, the name's uh, Todd. Okay, tell me about Todd. Todd's seven years old. How much do you love Todd on a scale of one to 10? Todd, scale of one to 10, 10. I'm like, would you take a bullet for Todd? Yes, you would. Okay, awesome. Well, now I'm going to go dark because I believe that things happen when we go dark. We have to get to the bottom of what it is that we really are going to find our leverage and our true strength and resiliency. You walk through the door after work tomorrow and Todd's sitting in a chair and there's a man with a nine millimeter gun pointed at Todd's head. And the guy says to you, hey, you need to raise $10,000. It can't be illegal, immoral, or unethical in the next seven days. Otherwise, I'm going to pull the trigger. Suddenly, there's a lot more leverage to do better. Suddenly there's an opportunity for us to get out of our comfort zone and get to be more resourceful with what it is that we truly have. And that's what you're talking about, being on that mat. Is there a way I can shift my body just a little bit? Can I just wiggle a little bit? Can I do something 
to change this situation right now and not give up on myself and not give up until I have blood, sweat, and tears in my eyes to know that when I go to sleep at night, I have done my best because so many people out there, Mark, and you know this, I'm doing the best I can. I'm, just, I'm like, how much fucking Netflix do you watch every week? Oh, how much sports do you watch every week? How much do you, how much time do you spend complaining versus picking up a book and going, Hey, maybe if I read this book, I might get a little bit smarter. I might find that 1% advantage. That's going to get me through that day. People have to take responsibility for themselves, but they're so caught up in their group think with people going, Oh, doesn't it suck? Oh yeah, it's terrible. The government should do this. The politicians should do this. Oh, da, 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 da. it's not going to get any better until this happens. I mean, all that negativity takes, takes the ownership away from us. And that's what I teach people is like, you got to do it for yourself. I mean, I literally, the reason why I'm here is I never gave myself any excuses. I just kept putting one foot in front of the other in every uncomfortable situation that I really was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this, but I'm just going to get through it one step at a time. And then just being able to believe and understand that it's all happening for my greater good. And it's going to help me compound all that knowledge and all that interest to ultimately, which is now be a great dad at 54 years old. And I have a six-year-old son. And so I can look at my entire life and go, wow, that all prepared me for that. It all prepared me to write this book. It's just you and me, kid. I mean, the story of my life is, is unbelievable. So all of it has combined to be able to create the man that I am today to be able to help the thousands of people that I do. So I, now do you have other children or do you just have one, one, uh, one and done, man. I learned my, I saw my friends have more than one learned. and I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> I have four. So, uh, and I raised five. I have another boy that I brought in when he was 12. That, oh, wow. Nice. And so uh, back way back in the day, and so I've got three boys and a girl, right? All through, all, all grown, all grown adults now. 54. I don't know if I, I really feel that 54 year olds can be really great dads, though. You've got yeah. a lot of life kind of behind you. Oh, you know, yeah. I was a little bit younger when I did it. So I was all these mistakes and then divorce and all that kind of stuff. You're a little bit more centered and you, I'm sure you're going to be 100%. your son's hero as, as things, as things progress, you know? Yeah, so that's, I think that's awesome. That you're doing that. Well, how long, how long have you had your wife now? How long have you guys been married? How long have I had her? I kept, no, uh, actually it will be 17 years this October. We've been together for just over 21. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So was she with you after or during some of this growth process? That you oh, she's been, through. she's definitely been during. Yeah. The, in the story of the book, I mean, we basically go from homeless, we get out of being homeless. I mean, there's just all this complete roller coaster of a life with my mother and all the different things. And so my, she and I had first started dating when my mother lost her house again. And so it was this experience of my mother living with us for a while because she had nowhere else to live. And my girlfriend getting it to the point where like, I'm ready to bust out of here because you're not taking care of your responsibilities with your mom. Your mom is running your life. And so she has been there for a good majority of it. So she got to see me make some of those hard decisions, which we all have to make. I mean, I literally found my sister. My sister left when I was nine years old. She said, sorry, baby brother, I can't take mom anymore. And she went to live with her biological dad, who by all means was normal and had money and everything. I didn't see her again until 2005 when she was 42. She was 16 when she was left. She was 42 then. And so she, I thought she lived a perfect life. I thought she was going to be all, everything was going to be normal. And she wasn't. And she had turned out exactly like my mom. And so for me, at that particular point in my life, I wanted nothing more to ever have a family. I just wanted a family. Everybody else had a family. I saw it on television and that's all I ever wanted. And so when we got kind of reunited, it shocked the hell out of me that my sister turned out exactly like my mom, but still hated my mom. Called her like, how's your mother doing? And all this other stuff. And so after a year of this and realizing my sister was so tied to her victimhood that I had to wish her well, I had to sit there and say, you know what, Maria, 
we share some blood. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad for the couple of good times that I can remember from my childhood, but I need to wish you well because you are so encased in your victimhood that there is nothing I can say or do. And you have zero desire to change that I am not going to allow that toxicity into my life. And so my wife got to see me make those tough decisions that had I not made them probably may not be still the man I am today. I may have continued drinking more. I may have continued running away more. I may have blamed myself for that. So that's what I teach people is sometimes you have to make the toughest decisions in your life and they're heartbreaking and they're soul crushing, but they're going to be the best for you in the long run. And that's something that we need to do. Well, awesome. Yes. Powerful, powerful that you, you've made the decision to kind of change that, you know, change that trajectory in your own family. So, the, so the, I guess the, the best word to say is right. The curse doesn't come down upon my son, right? I'm going to break right. that. I'm going to break that. So it's, you know, he's got a fighting chance to not not go through you know through victimhood or whatever you know whatever you know life hits him with it's good mm -hmm. man it's good awesome analogy chris it's super 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 cool so when so when you're goes let's talk about a little bit more of your your speaking okay sure let's talk about you know you says you're a speaker and workshop facilitator we're going to talk about that here in a second but i want to talk about your speaking do you do you like to speak to groups? Uh, you know, typically who hires you? Are you looking at uh, corporate type speaking? Did you already do that when you were in the corporate world, or is this something that's just kind of come along? And you want to do you want to expand your speaking because of writing a book? I will speak anywhere. I'm I'm a, I'm, a I'm a chatty Kathy. I've spoken at industry events. I really got into speaking. Uh, when, uh, I started realizing that I could use my story to help these, these kids called at-risk youth, these kids that were in and out of juvenile hall. I became a mentor for the Corona police department out here to you, you know, Southern California. I went to work for the Corona police department, uh, working with at-risk kids, taking my situation and be like, okay, Hey man, I was on the street. I was doing drugs. I was doing these things and mentoring these kids. And then from that, it carried into, Hey, would you come speak to the boys group? Would you come speak to this, this, uh, university of San Bernardino, you know, foster youth situation. So I've spoken to uh, tons and tons of youth organizations. I would love to do those again if there's anybody watching. And then also as well from my corporate side of things, when uh, uh, as I was going up the ranks of my, my job, they gave me two departments that I had zero idea of how to operate or do anything. They said, Chris, do you think you could handle it? And of course you say yes and you show up and you figure it out. And so I started attending an industry industry events. And as a result of that, because of my my eagerness to, to impress, my eagerness to, 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 to learn, um, I started moving up the ranks in some of these industry events. And so as a result, I became the co-chair for the uh, Postal Customer Council because I was in the mailing industry. And as a result, wound up being on stage. Uh, I opened up for Joe Namath one year at a huge mailcom conference. It was great. I got to meet Joe Namath. I was like, yay. I outweighed him and out everything. I was like, I was expecting Joe Namath. And I was like, oh, hey, Joe. <laughs> it's like this yeah, tiny guy. Super, super nice guy. Um, so I started doing that. I've done corporate industry events. I've done marketing events. I've done motivational speaker events. Yeah. I just, uh, actually I took a break from speaking back in 2016 because my wife and I were trying to have a kid and unfortunately we couldn't. So then we were started, went through the IVF process that didn't work. And so ultimately we got my son through adoption we wound up adopting him from birth. It was an amazing experience, open adoption. And, but I took, I decided, cause I saw my friends trying to be parents, but also trying to hang on to their egoic validation of the things in the careers that they were in. And so I said, you know what, let me put that on hold 
And that, that way there's no animosity for me or any guilt for me not being there as a part of his life as a baby and everything else, because I never wanted kids. I was not the dad person. I was not a kid person until I met my wife and she went, okay, if we don't have kids, then that's a deal breaker. And I said, okay, one, when you're 30 and I'm 40, because she's 10 years younger than I am. And so 10, 40 and 30 came and that nothing happened. And so we went the adoption route. And so now it's been a while since I've been back on stages. And a lot of the personal development industry has changed. A lot of the personal development are full of frauds and scam artists. That's why I'm who I am. That's why I'm the no excuses coach. That's why I swear. That's why I look the way I do. That's why I don't wear a, a suit and tie. There's, if you want to see me in a suit and tie, I, I was tons of videos on my YouTube channel where I did everything that I was supposed to do and say everything I was supposed to say, but I was incongruent to myself. And so I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this my own way. And that's one of the reasons why I've really just branched out and I do my raw and unscripted podcast, do the unfiltered podcast. Now I'm just out there being who I am and yeah, the desire to get out there and speak again and, and to, to impact people. That's, there's no other, there's no other real great feeling when you say something in such a way and somebody goes, wow, I never thought of it that way, Chris. And I always get pulled off stage and, oh my God, you know, I got to tell you about this or I got to tell you how you said this and change my life with that. So yeah, I love speaking. Love it. Awesome. Yes. I love it. You know, I love impacting people too. I, you know, I, I take my, my lessons from the mat or the fighting or the competition days that I did and the lessons that I, I, I took from those have always been, they resonate with a lot of people and being real just kind of resonates. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, I'm not a, I'm like even my own podcast here. I'm not really scripted. You know, we just, we're, we're going to have a conversation and where it goes, it goes. Exactly. And, you know, so I, what, where I think, and most of the time I tell everybody this all the time, I feel kind of selfish because I get to be with these awesome people for an hour and something kind of hits me and I'm like, Oh, let's see what I'm going to learn from him today. And so I, you know, I get to, to dabble into people's lives and, and learn lessons from them. And, then ultimately it just kind of gets shared out to thousands of people that also, that also get to listen to it. So it's, it's kind of cool for sure. What's Serena saying? She's, she's active here. She's my sweetheart. Yeah, it's my sister from another Mr. Roxley. She's a, she's a, the CEO of an organization called help heal humanity. And so I've been on the board of uh, here in the United States for the last three years. It's an amazing organization, help heal humanity. Uh, I just only associate myself with people who are out there to change the world and make it a different place. And she is one of the most beautiful heart centered driven people in the world. Uh, we built schools in Haiti, uh, fed the homeless in Hamilton, Ontario, done so many different opportunities. So thank you, Serena, for being here. And she's got a lot on her plate. So for her to be here, thank you, sweetheart. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Isn't it awesome to have good people in your life? Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. You, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it without my school, man. I've has, has the people in my school have just done, been with me on such just such a roller coaster of stuff for sure. So I'm going to ask you about, so 2019, so you were in a corporate world for a while. What made you make a decision to go ahead and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trans, I'm going to transition out of this. You know, I can't tell you, Christopher, how many people I have that done exactly the same thing that have transferred out of a corporate corporate world. Now, was this a, a COVID thing or is this before COVID you, just what you decided to do? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I found myself very successful and very comfortable. There's an amazing book out there called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And in there, he talks about, are you operating in your zone of uh, greatness? Are you operating in your zone of excellence? Or are you operating in your zone of genius? 
And so I was like, leadership excellence. Like I'm excellent at leadership. I'm excellent at operations. I can take dysfunctional teams, put them together. I can change operational deficiencies in, in England and Austria. I could do all those things. Excellent. I can do it in my sleep. My zone of genius is being able to shift people's perspective about their past, present, and their future. And because of my position at the job, being there for over 20 years, I had six weeks of vacation. I had a corner office. I had amazing uh, uh, every other Friday. I had everything that was perfectly comfortable and safe. I made six figures. I was comfortably miserable. I would sit in traffic on my way home going, when am I going to follow my heart? When am I going to follow my true dream and operate in my zone of genius 100%? And simultaneously, the, the organization went from being privately owned, which was amazing. It was all about the customers. It was all about the employees. Take care of the, the customer. The customer takes care of, take care of the employee. Take care of the customer. Customer takes care of the company. And then, of course, you sell it to a couple of private equity groups. And then all of a sudden, it becomes about the KPIs and blah, blah, blah. Where are we doing our metrics? Or blah, blah, blah. How much more money can we charge? How much, how much more can we take away from the customer? And I became disgusted with it. And, and because I'm not a very shy person, I was very vocal in some of these meetings as a director saying, we've spent 45 minutes talking about this, but not a single person has asked what's in it for the customer. What's in it for the member, right? How are the, how are the staff going to deal with these questions when they say, we're going to charge $50 for an electronic card that literally is free. Like, how are we going to get away with this? Well, Chris, you're being negative, blah, blah, blah. So the writing started to become on the wall that I was not going to fit into this new regime of where they wanted us to go back to working 80 hours a week, killing ourselves, missing our family. My son was one at the time. And so I was not going, I just decided I will play your game to a point and I will do what I need to do at a point. And so ultimately there was a transition conversation that happened a couple of years prior saying, okay, if we ever get in this situation, here's the transition. Chris can give these responsibilities to these people. Long story short, something happened where I got a new boss and I trusted my new boss to tell her something about a situation that I had with the HR group years ago where they were trying to headhunt me to get me out, get me out of there. They wanted me to quit. And so I felt I need to tell her this because she's going to see this relationship I have with this HR person. And I don't want her to feel like I'm adversarial being a dick or anything. So I trusted her to be, to know this, but she went and ran to the, to the other guy. And I know that's one of the reasons about three weeks later, I wound up getting an invitation to the HR department at six 30 in the morning saying, Chris, uh, your position has been eliminated. So it was kind of like this mutual thing. I knew I wasn't going to play their game. They probably felt that I was going to be a threat, which I was not a threat. And so that's when I left and was like, all right, that's, now I could come out here to Riverside where there's tons of warehouses. And I went and put in my applications and thought, oh, okay, I'll be a vice president now. I'll do that for a couple of years. And then I put out a bunch of resumes and there was no bites. And I thought, duh, Chris, look for the sign. These doors are not opening. You need to be doing what you're, what you're doing. So I talked to my wife and I said, I want to do my coaching and my speaking and everything else. And that was like February 20th. And then we know March 20th, we went on lockdown and things changed. Had a great time during COVID, got to spend time with my son and continue to build my podcast and everything else. So I'm a true believer in everything happens for a reason. And for me, it's that was a chapter in my life. That was a section in my life. And there's still aspects of my life that I still incorporate in consulting and corporate work and operations and leadership. But for me, it was about regret. I did not want to regret. I did not want to play it safe for the rest of my life, hoping, wishing, and praying that someday I was going to be discovered. Sometimes you got to jump. And there's a great video out there by Steve Harvey. It's called Jump. He's in a, a parking garage. There's two of them. One, one, he's doing the family feud, but he's in a parking garage. It's a minute and 35 seconds, I think. Maybe a minute and 55 seconds at all is said and done. 
and he talks about this mark he's like oh man they're doing this and they're doing that and they're having their own business and they're they're flying and they're going to the south of france well what am i going to do that well what they did is they jumped they jumped and their parachute didn't open when they jumped their backs got scraped up they got scared but eventually their parachute opened like for me i was scared every step of the way that I, every part of my life but i just kept, kept taking that imperfect action and so i just decided you got to run and jump and you, yeah the parachute will open and it does yeah that's awesome yeah, I, I find that so much. It, it, I don't know if you know Tina that just says hi to both of us. I don't know if you've met her before. Yeah. What's up, Tina? Thank you for being here. She She's another one that left the corporate world to 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 go after what she wants. It's um, yeah, I've seen it over and over and over again. I, I, I say this all the time about corporate world, right? <clears throat> they pay you just enough not to quit and you do just <laughs> enough work not to get fired is yeah. uh, is, is the corporate life. That's anyway, that's the experience that I see with it for sure. I can't imagine anymore right now. It's, it's gotta be so insane when, again, with the multi-generations of what people have experienced emotionally and mentally and financially with COVID and whatnot, it's, it's hard. It's, I can imagine leadership is tough right now. I've got some friends that are still in there and they are struggling. It's so let's, let's just break that down. Cause I, I, let's, let's tell the audience this. Okay. Because you know, leaving a six figure, right? And then, you know, COVID hits and it, it gave you the opportunity. Uh, when you made the decision, let, let's let's look at one aspect on, okay, how am I going to grow this? So yeah. how, how did you start your, how'd you start the process? Who'd you go market to to say, hey, I'm a coach now, or, or this is what I'm going to do, or I'm trying to speak. Did you do it organically? How did you go about going to grow what it is you're going to be next? It was, I mean, that's a great question, Mark. Yeah, literally, it was a continuation based on word of mouth. I mean, a lot of my coaching clients come from word of mouth. I'll work with a coaching client for six months, six months to a year, depending. Sometimes the first six months is just unwiring and, and refiguring out, you know, old belief patterns. And then the second six months is really about attacking new goals. But a lot of it's from word of mouth. People just sit there and find out from my coaching clients, like, what are you doing? You're actually happy. You're actually executing on things. You're actually eliminating things and tolerations in your life that you've been letting happen and build up for so many years even people within own people's families they're like wait a minute you used to put up with all this bullshit, and now you don't do this anymore who are you working with and so a lot of it was has always continued to be word of mouth that's where a lot of get up my 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 coaching clients but it was funny you attract like attract likes so i started marketing more towards people on linkedin who were in my situation they were in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and they were doing good and they were good enough and I would just simply ask him, did you come here to be good enough or did you come here to rock and roll and not have any regrets? There's a book behind me. It's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. It is bar none one of the most impactful books. Have you heard of it before? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so the mm -hmm. hospice, for those of you guys who don't know, a hospice nurse sat down with all these people who are dying. That's their job is to help them transition when they pass away. And she take a, she took a list and said, okay, what are the five regrets of the people that I'm sitting here watching pass away? And the top regret is that people thought they lived the life they thought they were supposed to live instead of living the life they wanted to live. And so by using mm -hmm. that and, and engaging with people, because I'm all about relationships, I'm not about clicks and marketing techniques and sales pitches. I just connect with people and let them know what I do. I check on them every once in a while, see how they're doing. And every once in a while they go, hey, you know what? I'm ready to work with you. And so for me, I was finding that there was these people that were going, man, I'm doing just good enough. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of scared. I'm like, okay, what kind of example are you setting for your kids? 
Do you want your kids just to play it safe for the rest of their life? Or do you want them to go out there and jump and get their back scraped up and figure out what resiliency is, figure out what courage is, figure out what confidence is, figure out when your back's against the wall, you need to figure something new out as opposed to going, oh yeah, I'll do it. And so I believe it was a mutual understanding between myself and the organization to say that was my time. That was my time. And so when I look back on that, you know, there are certain aspects of my identity that I was not prepared to deal with because I was a director of operations. I had $17 million worth of budgets. I had international responsibilities. And then one day I was not needed. And the guy who took over my position was a dear friend of mine. And I kept asking him every day. I'm like, dude, I know I had all these things going on. I said, if you need any help, I'm glad to help. Nobody needed me, Mark. And so that process of me sitting there having to re-identify with who I was based on what I was doing, that was a bit of a challenge for a few months. But then through that, it's like, okay, if I continue in looking at that door that's closed, if I continue on looking at who the person, I, who that person was is the person who got me here, that same person isn't going to get me to where I need to go next. And that's what I teach people. It's like, you need to change your perspective about shit. Let that door go. Let that, let that section of your life go and start doing what it is that you can do today so that you don't have any regrets tomorrow. Yes, that's that's so I, I love I love to hear how that how that process is, because the reason I asked the question is I think a lot of people are scared. They they they, they don't do anything because of fear. Yeah, they don't want to take the risk. Right. And, and then that's where the regret comes. They're like, if oh, if I would have just done that, oh, if I would have just done that, you know, even myself, I was in that same same token. I, I, I don't think I, I think as long as an 18 year old, I always wanted to be a real estate investor. I tried all kinds of stuff, but I never really had a coach coach that would push me over the edge or teach me what, what can I really do this? And then now, now, so today, right. I own two properties. Now I just closed on one in, in Georgia, uh, these Airbnbs. And I just bought it, you know, I bought, I bought this, you know, this five acre property with these, for Airbnb that was built for Airbnb. I have another little apartment by the uh, by the college that we rent that's out in Georgia. And I have a goal now to have five more before the end of next year, right? That that's this is so I'm starting to live what I wanted to do at at 61 years old or 60. How old am I now? <laughs> no, that did the same oh, shit, I'm 62. I'm not even 61. I'm trying. I'm going backwards. Ever since I hit 60, I decide I'm going to go backwards in life. Uh -huh. So yeah, I do that sometimes too. Uh, There's the, my buddy Walt. What's up, Walt? <laughs> so I, I, so this is what I decided. So the reason I asked the question of you is because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I can't just, I can't just walk away. I can't just walk away. But the same with my studio. I didn't just open up a school. I started it as a ministry at a church. That's what I started as. I was there for two years. And then I went ahead and um, you have hooked on humanity here. My girl, Nellie, she's amazing soul too. Thank you guys all for being here. Yeah, it's awesome. I you, amazing got, family. you got good, good people behind you. I can just already tell by comments. It's always weird how, on, on, I can tell the impact people have by comments a lot of times on when, when I'm interviewing them. I'm blessed. So it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. So I was telling you that when I opened up my school, I decided I was growing so big up there. I said, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. I need to do it. And so that's what I did. I was just a machinist, man. That's why my, my grandpa did it and my dad did it. And I liked it. <clears throat> of course, today I would have better appreciation because I would make some awesome gun parts if I was back in the machine shop like I used to be. I'd be making myself my own ARs. I just wasn't in that mindset back then. But when I was 
doing all my, uh, the machining, I remember being in front of a machine. I used to have these big calendars before I was a black belt. And I would say, you know, no time to slack three months to black and all this and getting ready in this black belt thing. And then I got laid off from that job. And then I went, went ended up being a pool man. I cleaned pools. And I love that job, by the way, mm, best yeah. job in the world for summertime sucks in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was out cleaning pools and I would get up at 6 a.m. and I'd clean all the pools. And I'd go back to the studio, teach class until eight o'clock. And that's how I started opening up my school. Now, you know, how I got my school was it, 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 this is one story I'll let everybody know that's listening about when you want to do something in your life, you are going to come up against walls that you think are, you just cannot get past. And sure. this happened to me. I didn't have credit. I had a little bit of savings, but I had people that would follow me enough that would pay rent. Correct. So I knew this and I went after a place that's been empty for 12 years. And this guy just would not give me the time of day, not the time of day. I said, let me talk to the owner myself. And he said, no. And one of my students just said, run a property profile and find out who the owner is. Go find him yourself. Right. And I said, okay, how did I do that? And there's not a lot of internet back then, but he showed me how to do it. And I found out that he was a dentist. So I made an appointment to have my teeth cleaned. And I sat in a chair. I said, I'm not here to have my teeth cleaned, man. I said, I want to, I want to own, I, I want to open up a martial arts school. And he was just like, I can't believe that you went through all this for this. I said, your yeah. people, your people, number one, they don't believe in me. Okay. Because they wouldn't let me talk to you. And they, I said, I, I had money to open, you know, and he goes, I'm going to give you a one-year lease. And he goes, if you make it from there, I don't want to put you in a five-year lease where it's going to lock you down in case something happens. I'm going to give you a one-year, and then I will I will give you as many years as you want after that. And I was with that guy for nine years until I had to open up, you know, until I had to move into a bigger place. And that's how I, you know, and I tell everybody, you are going to come up against walls. I'm a firm believer. You go around the wall or go through the wall. It doesn't really matter right. how, how you're going to do it. And if I didn't do that, I would never, I would never pursued it. And just coming from, I took a GED just like you did. Now I didn't do college like you did. I can't stand college. Yeah. I just didn't have the personality for it. And so, but all my children have graduated college because I've told them, I said, there's one thing I, I said, I, I was a fool not understanding how to use, use it go to college and use it for what you need, what you want in life. Yes. You don't need this basket weaving and all this or whatever you do, but you need to learn how to get up in front of a group of people and speak. You need to learn how to formulate a letter. So you sound intelligent when you talk to others mm -hmm. and you have to complete something. Cause when you complete something in four years and you get your bachelor's degree, uh, guess what? That's like getting a black belt because it takes four or five years to get a black belt. Yeah. That means somebody did something disciplined enough in order to graduate or disciplined enough in order to graduate for a black belt. I said, that is the beauty of what college is. You can't quit and you want to quit a lot of times. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So <laughs> it was definitely I, not easy. It was right. a lot. I got divorced during that. Um, <laughs> the first, the first divorce I've only had one. Yes. You only had one. Yeah. Yes, me too. I, I hadn't done it again just yet. So uh, it's never late. Just switched my career aligned with my purpose at 44. The best thing I've ever done found what happens. I didn't even know I missed. That's mm -hmm. your buddy Walter. Yeah. Pico, he's a good guy. This guy needs to be on your show as well. He's a great guy. He's got, he wrote a book, Monsters in My House. I mean, incredible. Uh, okay. I'm going to reach out. Walter, if it's cool with you, I'm going to reach out to you after this. Fico, oh, yeah. I don't know if you've met Fico before. Are you in CLA? Is that how we met each other? Are you in the CLA or how did we meet? How did you, how did we find each other?
you and I, um, yeah. I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. I've met so many people in the last couple of weeks and last couple of months, just promoting right. the book. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly I'm sure, not, but I don't I'm know. not sure what groups you're in or how we found each other, but, um, he, the Fico here, he's a good guy. He, this guy's a Lieutenant Colonel in, in the, in the, in the army. Wow. I just he, actually interviewed one of my Ron and scripted show a couple of weeks ago. Green Beret, Lieutenant Colonel. Yes. Yeah. This is him too. Fico's a good dude and nice. you have uh, hooked on humanity. I'm sure this is another one of you guys got such good followers, man. Good Thank comment. And then one, after of, it. one of the things I can really offer people is the thing that was illuminating for me when I think about regrets and I think about that, that sense of leverage that we need to have in our life. For me, I was at a funeral back in 2008 and my life was great on paper. I was probably drinking a little bit too much, but everything on paper was fine. And I sat there and I was watching all of my coworkers up there eulogizing this lady who I worked with, who I didn't really know that well, but I went there out of respect to, to pay my respects and everything. And I, everybody was getting up there. My buddy Dave Riley gets up there and starts blubbering about what a beautiful person she is and how much difference she made in his life. And honestly, Mark, I sat there, I thought, okay, if I died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? Right. And, I, and I figured people, 10 or 15 people would show up with cases of Miller Genuine Draft and bottles of Jack Daniels and Motley Crue and Bon Jovi records. And they would talk about all the stupid shit Chris did. Oh my God. Remember that time he did that? Remember the time he passed out? Remember the time he drove a sand rail from Competition Hill without his fucking lights on? Remember that time he did this? Remember that time he did this? Remember that time he thought this? Oh yeah. He was a homeless seventh grade dropout who came back and changed the world. And I thought, I don't want the postscript on my life to be, he was a party animal, girl chasing, you know, rock star dude. And then he changed the world. And so I really thought about it and it bugged me. And I, as I was driving home, I'm like, what, what can I do with this? What can I do with this? And I, not knowing anything about anything in that situation, I decided I went home and I wrote my eulogy by hand. And so as I was writing it out, I wrote it out, went to the kitchen, got a glass of water, came back and literally was going to push it to the side of my desk because I'm always about go, 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 do the next thing, do the next thing, do the next thing. And I thought, all right, I'm like, fucking go put this over here. I'm like, wait, let me just pick it up and read it. So I start reading it and I'm like, well, if I was at a eulogy or a church service, they would read it out loud. And so I said, <clears throat> me, 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 me. And so we're gathered here today to celebrate the life of Christopher Roush and blah, 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 blah. Mark, I get halfway down. I start crying. Because I get to a point where it says, Christopher Roush will have fought for what's right and what's fair. He will have risked for what's that mattered. And he will have left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. And that, in that moment, I had tears right now. I'm like, if I can live that life, when I live that life, as I choose to live that life every single day, I can't have any regrets. Because if that's what the picture of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here, if I make sure that that's the focus and the intention of every single day of my life, then that's a beautiful life. And so many people don't have that vision. So many people hope, wish, and pray that someday something's going to change or someone's going to change. The thing that has to change is what's going on between right here. We don't get guaranteed the next 10 minutes. I could literally slip down my stairs, fucking crack my head open. Be, I mean, I could have a heart attack. I was in the emergency room three weeks ago. That's another story. We just don't know. You just So what, every single day, if this is the last conversation that I ever have, can my son watch this and go, fuck, dad was living on his, on his point. And so that's the clear vision that we need. And in order to have that vision, we need to have the right people supporting us who don't say, oh, it's stupid to quit your job and go for your dreams. You should play it safe. You used to be homeless. You make six figures. You should do this. You need people saying, yeah, go do it, dude. Have a backup plan. You know, think a little bit smart about it, but go do it. Why? I don't want to sit there and think about all the different decisions and things I could have done with my life and all the people who poo-pooed my stuff who were going to be dead before me, perhaps. 
I'm not going to think, I don't want those regrets. I want to look back on my life and go, man, that was scary, but it was fun. Man, that was scary. That didn't work out, but guess what? This worked out. Maybe that then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Did I make an impact in the world? Did I live? Am I going to check in with God? And he's going to be like, yeah, you did a fucking great job. Cool. And that's where I look at it. Right. Awesome perspective. Awesome perspective. I did. You know, that's the reason I started my podcast, even even through the when the COVID in 2019 is kind of when I started right, also. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, this is going to be for my great, great grandkids who's going to be able to see me and know what, hey, this is what my dad stand for. This is what your grandpa stood for. Yeah. They're going to be able to come back on this and say, you know, and I did that. I, I, I live life on, you know, on the edge. Was it easy? Was it easy owning a martial arts school? No. Because I'm telling you, first of all, I don't have the typical body of a martial artist, right? I've always been a bigger athlete, and uh, I've been the Hulk smash, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so I just did all this, and when I – it took me a long time to win tournaments because I get kicked out of them for excessive contact, all kinds of shit, and trying to get myself formed to be a better – a better human. I didn't really do martial arts and learn how to, to learn how to fight. I was just a naturally tough guy being bullied in school all the time. It just kind of made me that way. Yeah. And I really took martial arts because I thought, you know what, I'm going to be able to kick the shit out of you even more now. You know, that's what I thought mm -hmm. until it really kind of formed my life. Right. And so I, you know, I, I think that anybody, and you're right. You said something in there too. You said you got to be smart about it which I was, right? I, I, I was still cleaning pools and doing it, but I'm going to tell, I tell everybody, I said, the day the pool place kind of sold his business and I had to, I, I, I didn't have the cushion anymore. Mm -hmm. When it became a must, then it became a success. Yes. And then it wasn't a success out of the way. I had to go find a coach because I was drowning because I could do good martial arts, but I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how to do it at all. And I, and I found a coach. I found a coach just by the grace of God who are still who I've interviewed today. And one thing he's always told me, he goes, hey, you know, you want to know, he never even charged me a dime. This guy, he changed my life and never charged me nothing. He said, you get here on the airplane, I will put you up and I'm going to teach you how to make money in the martial arts. And I remember being in my head, everybody just drilling me all the time. You're just going to do karate. That's not a job. That's not a job. And I used to say to myself, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to have 100 black belts one day and you guys are going to come to me for advice on how to run a martial arts school. I, I, I remember saying it. And today, right today, I have 700 black belts and I've got eight, nine schools that are underneath me that are uh, in an organization. And I've done consulting now for martial artists, school owners on how to make money for years now. But I remember me saying that I remember everybody knocking in anybody's talk anybody that listen coach you tell me the same thing right christopher you know anybody that's listening nobody's going to listen to you right out of the gate mm -hmm. you have to have something behind you right they're all watching you know i've got four thousand friends and i've got a very minute you know which tells me that i've got some that are in my corner pushing me up and i've got a lot watching me to fail Mm -hmm. And every day it's like a big boom. Every time I make it, you know what I mean? I just, you know, I said, you know, keep on watching because while you're watching, I'm doing while you yeah. watch, I do. True. And so, you know, I've, I've loved that. What you said there, as far as that goes and how to be smart about it and how to chase it. So, you know, what is your, so when you're out looking, what's your, what's your best, uh, if you're looking for people to come to you as a coach, who do you kind of take on? Who do you, who do you try and, uh, you know, merge yourself with 
And how do they go about doing that? Mm, that's a great question. I, I love that. I'm looking for people who are, are, are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They're literally at that point where like, I'm tired of doing the same shit over and over again, expecting different results. I'm ready to start letting go of some of these past beliefs that I believe that I can't or that I'm not worthy. And I'm ready to work with people who are ready to do the action and to, to make the tough decisions. Because I believe that, you know, you either hit bottom or you hit the bottom. And my whole goal is to try to prevent people from hitting the bottom and being able to have that proactivity to say, listen, I'm worth making the investment in myself to have a coach. It blows my mind. All the people in this personal development space, which is, don't even fucking get me started, who right. sit there and I'm a coach and I'm on this. I have two coaches. I have three mentors that I can call on at any particular time that I talk to every single week. I got my buddy Walt. I've got so many people in my corner that I can go to. What can I do to make my podcast better? What can, so I'm looking for people who are sitting there sick and tired of being sick and tired of their want to start developing an action plan to get out of their situation so that they don't have those regrets. Because ultimately what I do is I take those people and I turn them into advocates to go help other people be inspired. And so if we can start inspiring people to take personal accountability, personal responsibility, instead of blaming the government, instead of blaming the politicians, instead of blaming the laws and all, and take responsibility for ourselves, the world will be a better place. And honestly, to tell you, Mark, my whole mission in, in life is to make this world a better place for all right? For us to get, get away from the, the self-hatred and the self-loathing and the, and the, and the name calling for ourselves and being able to speak to ourselves in a more loving fashion. And then with that, go be able to be that person for somebody else. Go be that ray of light for some kid that's out there that's struggling. Go out there and be a ray of light for somebody that's in your organization that you know is struggling. Use your experiences that I can teach you to go out there and make this world a better place so that our kids and our kids' kids could grow up and go, wow, man, those people back in the night, then the 2024s, whatever you want to call it, they really got their shit together and started making this world a better place and stopped blaming each other and stopped hating each other and stopped listening to the news media about all the divisiveness. I'm looking for those people who are sick and tired. Basically, they're comfortably miserable. And that seems to be the the whole uh, army of a people that I keep attracting because they're like, Chris, I just can't do it anymore. I'm like, well, then stop doing it and start doing something different. That's uh, powerful, powerful there, Christopher, that what what you talk about. And I think I 100 percent agree that I would say that most of us, most of us are on the same page. We're divided because of media. We're divided because of they want to keep us confused. They want to keep people uh, fat and out of shape. They want to keep us uh, not, um, you know, not focused on goals, focused on them. They want to keep us divided in hatred. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I don't recall this. I told my own children, I said, I do not recall this much hate back in my day, back before, you know, really social media, I guess. You know, I told them, I says, man, we would roll up in a, in a, my Dotson, little orange Dotson and open up the car windows and shoot baskets in the park. Right. This was our, this was our time. You know, we didn't really have, we had, you know, the big thing was a pager back then. And then, you know, then we can call you back if we felt like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's just one of those, one of those things that, that people, I don't think people really realize how, how close and, and what, of course, everybody wants to have success and they want to have, you know, the, but they get, they just can't get past their own uh, insecurities. I see it all the time in the martial arts world all the time. And a lot of times people quit right before they win. It drives me absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. you know, same thing, you, same thing. You, you know, you get, you're getting close, man. You're getting close. It, it's, and let me, I tell everybody, you're going to miss the journey more than you're going to miss the victory. I'm sure. telling you for, for a fact, you know, the journey of, 
in in mine, you know, I've been doing martial arts for so long, right? 40 years now. And, you know, I've got a really good grasp on on my main arts. And then jujitsu has come in in the last 10 years. And I mean, it's like unboxing. You know, I tell the story that when I had blood clots here a few years ago and I was 100 pounds heavier than what I am now. And I was still still, you know, getting after it. But then I'm in the hospital. And I'm thinking, man, I'm about to die here. What the flip, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got to change something. And then I made a major shift. But in the same token, being on blood thinners, you know, I couldn't get in the ring. I couldn't take any shots anymore because I'm on blood thinners. And so I'm losing my warrior spirit because my my calling is, you know. And then jujitsu came around and I'm like, wow, I can still have that warrior feeling. And it's just opened up a whole new puzzle right and i'm right now in the in the process of putting puzzles here and puzzles there as i get to unbox this stuff and and i tell everybody i don't want to hear about it i said i'm 62 and i'm still out there there's something to be said about a guy that's got one fake knee and a bunch of arthritis in the other that gets up and says you know what i'm gonna go blow my knees out a little bit more today let's go you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so uh it's just one of those things i tell everybody my my bands say unstoppable that's why yeah you're unstoppable it's like no excuses keep going no no excuses you got to believe it's my those are i mean that's the cornerstone of whatever it is. It's just got to go out there and, and and do it, like do it and get through it. It's and, and and realize that you're stronger than you actually think and to get rid of those excuses. I mean, literally, that's what my book is all about. It's about that resiliency of being able to take that imperfect action every single day and knowing that part of it is going to suck and it's going to be hard and it's going to be ugly and you're going to cry and you're going to feel like, a, but all through that part, when you look back on it, I look at it this way and I know you do too. Like when I look back on my life, did I learn the most when it was easy and comfortable? No, I've had so many times where I just kicked back. I've got my dream car downstairs. I've got a 69 charger. I've got all sorts of beautiful things. I didn't learn shit when things were easy. When things were tough, I learned a lot. And so I look back with fondness and appreciation for all the tough things that I've been through. The time where I wanted to end my life in 2016, where I actually had to put the tattoo right here. It says, what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. I literally had to tattoo it on my forearm to sit there and say, Chris, you're going to get through this too. And to ultimately realize that whatever challenges face me in the future, I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow from them. So I don't sit there and try to make my life easy. And I don't try to make my life perfect. Like, oh, I don't want to have any more problems. We all have problems and situations. It's what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? And then how can I help somebody else do that same thing? Powerful, right? I tell my students often, if you can tell this phrase in your head, sometimes this too shall pass. Yeah. Okay. And it is so true that this too shall pass. And and if you can put that in your head that, you know, and I also tell them when you want to quit, when those times that you want to quit and you're riding down, just don't quit today. Not Think today. about that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Don't quit today. I love Think that. about that tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, your mind kind of shifts after a good night's sleep and and we have all these goals in our in in, in the morning. And then of course life, you know, likes to throw the Boom, boom, right? They like to throw the the right left hooks at you. And uh you're either dodging or you're taking a few and you're and you're countering. It's just mm-hmm. it's just what it is. It's always a fight. It's always a fight, man. Yeah, you know, but one minute, right? One one minute, one more round. I tell them all the time, you got you got you got to take that one second to the one minute, to the one round, to the 10 rounds, and just keep on going. You can't you can't stop what you're doing. So I want to give you the last couple couple seconds here on, on this podcast. It's been good. I mean, this hour went by just quickly. We've already passed we the hour, it. believe it or not. <laughs> uh, I want you to go ahead and give us, you know, give us a good 
something to end this good podcast with something where and and make sure at the end on how to reach you when you know people want to you guys if you're out there looking for a coach that has no nonsense i don't know let me just be real with everybody out here that's my audience right everybody that's my audience they kind of know me they they know me that i i wear my heart on my sleeve i don't really you know i don't uh, deal with too much bullshit and uh, i'll tell you exactly how i feel and and i want to be real because i want people to be real with me and if you're looking for that, this is obviously a coach that you might want to want to dabble into and, and, and get to meet. So, Christopher, go ahead and leave us with something and uh, for uh, everybody and let people know on how to reach you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Mark, it's been a tremendous opportunity and we'll definitely have you on the Ron and scripted podcast as well. I think I'm just going to go back to the, to the, to the advice that was given to me at 17 years old by my girlfriend's dad, who said, Christopher, you're only limited by the parameters of your own mind. You're only limited by the parameters of your mind. So you think that something is impossible. If you think it's it's not attainable, if it's for everybody else, and you continue to talk to yourself in that way, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, the cycle of insanity will continue. But if you sit there and afford yourself the opportunity of what if, what if I did something just a little bit different today that I did yesterday? What if I kept doing that over and over again for the next 365 days, for the next 30 days, for the next 20 days, for the next however many days, would I be a little bit different at the end of that? Yes. How much different could I be? Depends on how much effort and action that I can put into that. It first starts off with the five things, hydration, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and vitamin D. It blows my mind. I've, taught, I've given away a bunch of coaching sessions during COVID, just my way of giving back. And I ask people, how much water do you drink every day? 90% of the people out of 200 conversations, like, oh, I don't drink enough water. I don't drink water. I drink tea. I drink coffee. I drink soda. I'm like, your body's comprised of 70 to 80% water. So if you're not hydrating yourself, guess what? You are making shitty decisions because you feel like crap. And what happens when we feel like crap? We go to our short-term gratifications to ignore our life. And we hope, wish, and pray that someday something's going to change. Usually something changes when you wind up in an emergency room and they slap a bunch of medication at you and say, you haven't been taking care of yourself. And then all of a sudden you start taking care of yourself. Then all of a sudden you start feeling a little bit better. Then all of a sudden you start realizing what is it that I've been tolerating? So here's something you guys can do. Take out a piece of paper. I'm a big fan of, of writing shit down, write it down. What are you tolerating from yourself? What are you tolerating from others? What are you tolerating from inanimate objects and sit there and make a choice and a decision that you're going to eliminate a third of those tolerations in the next 30 days, plus your hydration, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and vitamin D. If you're not getting outside and getting 10 minutes of sun every day, guess what? That can cause depression. I found that out for myself when it rained here in Southern California for 10 days. I was like, God, I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm like sad and cry. I want to like watch the notebook. <laughs> and I found out I haven't seen the sun in 10 days. I started taking a vitamin D sub supplement. Wow. I started feeling better. I started taking a magnesium supplement, started feeling better, started taking extra potassium, started feeling better. Take care of yourself, take care of your health, take care of the way you speak to yourself and take care of the people that are in your life, the five people that are around the most, your team, the people that you tr that you trust, that empower you, that hold you accountable and that mentor you. Make sure you have a team of people in your life that are, that are promoting the fact that you should be out there taking a risk for your life and getting a coach and getting around the right people. There's so much more, but uh, I think that's enough. But uh, thank you for being here. Of course, please go check out itsjustyouandmekid.com. It's just you and me kid.com. There's a bunch of stuff I'm giving away as part of the pre-sale thing. You put your email and your, your, your name in there. Once it comes out on sale day, you're going to get an email saying, please go buy the book. And then you'll be entered for a bunch of stuff. This is my story. This is my entire life story. 
um, of triumph and resiliency and belief and empowerment and taking imperfect action and, and struggling and, and going through divorces and going through suicide attempts and going through drugs and alcohol and going through all these different things to be the man that I am so proud of being today and being getting to be a dad to my amazing six-year-old. Uh, Mark, once again, thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it, brother. I look forward to more conversations with you. Definitely. Yeah, this is so good today, Christopher. Definitely kindred spirits for sure. We got, we got, we, we, we draw from the same uh, mindset. That's for sure. And for those that are listening, I'll, I'll have all his stuff. We'll have this out in audio, you guys, so you guys can listen to it while you drive, or maybe you want to, you know, you only caught few, uh, you know, a few minutes of it, and you want to hear the rest of it. It'll be out on audio. Of course, it's out on YouTube at Beyond the Mat uh, uh, podcast on YouTube, and it's my website is markcox.com. It'll be on the audio there. That's the uh, the website for the podcast itself. So we'll be able to catch that. I'll have it out later tonight. Uh, this is what I usually do Monday nights after I wind down from teaching. Uh, I'll go and edit the uh, the podcasting and make sure it's up and ready to go. I'll have that out to you as soon as we have it. And let's just end. Uh, I want to tell everybody this, man. All those that are trying to give up, you know, and want to quit. You know, we don't quit. We don't quit when we're tired. We quit when we're done. And so you guys make sure you kind of live by that. And I really appreciate uh, you, Christopher. This was a uh, awesome day today. Now you got me all pumped up for the rest of the day. I'm like, yeah, I'm really let's, go. let's go. And so <laughs> my, my lifting today should be uh, pretty good. So there if you, you would, Christopher, we have a little outro that we're going to do. If you would just stick online and I'll, I'll get you right after this is done. Okay. When no we're worries. No worries. And thank you to all my fans and all my friends and my, my, my peeps that showed up here today. Thank you guys. I love you to, to pieces. We call ourselves the misfits for life. And uh, I love each and every one of you. I see Samuel's in the house. Fico, I learned to, uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you. Uh, Nelly, thank you for being here. Serena, all you guys, Walt, you guys are all beautiful, beautiful people in my life. And I wouldn't be able to do this without you. So I love you guys. Yes, that's all. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.